This is Bruce. This is John. This is the Blixter. And this is Trav. Welcome to the Tri-Tac Games Podcast, your podcast of playing along with cute furry little creatures that could probably save your butt. Happy, happy, happy! This week we are talking about the new fringeworthy race, the Pangalisk. Otherwise known as Pangos, otherwise known as what's what's your favorite name for it, Blix? Uh, I don't really have a favorite name for it. <laughs> I call them Pangos. John, um, varmints. Varmints. Okay, Trav. Like lisks, you know, apostrophe l i s k s. You know, like uh, get the lisk over here. You know. Oh, like a basilisk. No, no, no. That's something totally different. Yeah. <laughs> If you can do a proper trap, you got to leave the L off. Bring the isks over here. Yeah, yeah. The pangolists are a uh, six-armed-legged, six-limbed creature that is pretty obviously been created by the Tamelern because they have a lot of special characteristics that seem to be very, very helpful, almost amazingly too helpful to have arisen through natural evolution. Now, they're new, right, Trav, to the D20 edition? Yes, in the PDF there on page 43. And from what I've looked at as far as the D20 parlance, and all of you know I'm pretty much the OGL junkie around here, they would be considered a small magical beast because they are like they have animal-like qualities and animal-like uh, physiology but they have the capacity to have an intelligence score above three because if you look at the racial traits at the left column, bottom of the page, the int modifier is only minus one, which means if you were to make a Pangolus character, the highest they could have as an intelligence to start out is a 17. So therefore, you can't use the animal, sub, the animal type. It'd have to be Magical Beast. And if you look under Society where it says Allegis Attitude Year Equivalent, Tech Expertise, not much. That would put them smack dab at progress level zero. They barely know how to use tools. They would be equivalent to Stone Age Tech. They're cute, they're adorable, and even though they may have a 170 IQ, they have the Wisdom Modifier of minus four, which means they may be smart, but not all that bright. And of course, Charisma plus one, it means, oh, they're adorable. Look at them. They really it's, are. I mean, if you look at the picture, their little faces are just cute as a button. Yeah. Basically, it says that they are a six-limbed, furry, and scaled anteater-like creature. I mean, and the middle set of legs has limited manipulative hands, while the front 
have a formidable set of digging claws. These guys theoretically could be a real threat to you. I mean, they would be at least as dangerous as a baby bear as far as his claws are concerned. Uh, Or maybe something even worse. Is there something that would be a better choice? Uh, I don't know. For a small creature, I think claw damage is only 1d3. Let me get the monster manual and look here because I would have the same information as D20 Modern. I'll tell you that. Possible genetic contributor, which are with pangolins, they actually are quite strong. Well, except they're not. They're minus four strength, so they're not very strong. That's because they're size. They would be a small size category, which means, yeah, you're going to, I think there's automatically strength and con modifiers, which lessen because of they're smaller than normal. If you look at them, their strength for their size, these creatures can be tremendously strong. Or maximum 14. Remember, it's 3d6. So 14 for something that's about the size of a cat. Pretty darn impressive. Small, uh, medium-sized dog. If you had a cat that size, I'd be worried about, you know, you must have a Maine Maine Coon cat. But still, that's 20 pounds of fur and muscle. Because Maine Coons are pretty much kind of like lynxes. I would compare it to maybe like a wolverine. Nasty claws. Well, they don't have teeth. That's true. I am on page 296 of the 3.5 Monster Manual. And for a sized creature, claw would be 1d3. So at the most, this claw could do 1d3 plus 2 damage per swipe. That's considerable. I mean, it wouldn't kill anybody, but man, this could take a big chunk of flesh off of somebody. Yeah. And if you did it in the right spot, then, of course, it could really make a difference because they're just at the wrong level to be using those claws. Three foot tall, and they got the reach. Yeah. You know, the neutering, you know, <laughs> the potential for these guys what is pretty chance. impressive. It's a good thing they're so cute. Like what I had, these snipping out of me. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at this thing, and I don't know. I mean, there's some things here with the stats I would just, you know, sort of house rule. You could get that slap going, and with those scales on it, man, that slap would hurt with that tail. Well, don't forget, though. They show up in packs. So it's not just one. It's a pack of them showing up. Yeah. Well, let, 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 okay, let's start going down just the description, the racial traits, and then just break it down like we've done all the other races, since this is the continuance of the racial series here. Uh, let's see. Description. Some things that came in off the fringe paths were unusual, such as these slugs of rupians. Then the first pangolin showed up with a can opener, three cans of beans, and a cry for help. They are best described as six-legged anteaters covered in both fur and scale. Their middle set of legs end in limited manipulative hands, which I would give maybe a minus two to do fine manipulation, while the front sport a formidable set of digging claws, the aforementioned 1d3 plus two. While pangles are moderately intelligent and can understand simple language, their attempts to vocalize human speech are cryptic at best and create, can create massive confusion. Yeah, we were talking about this before the podcast. We think they either swallow the first letters of whatever word they're saying. So, yeah, they, they it sounds like they only speak with vowels first, but they may actually be, if you listen very closely, you may actually hear them say dig instead of ick, ick. <clears throat> yeah, because if they if you get them to talk about combat, they don't make a word. They make a sound, which to them means unhappy. Like, we don't want to fight. I mean, we'll fight, we have to, but we're not going to go out our way to fight. We're going to fight to defend ourselves. 
somebody that doesn't like us, somebody that we don't like picks them up, we're slashing them across the face. But we're not going to go out and pick a fight in a bar. You know? uh, but other than that, yeah, it's all vowel-starting word sounds. Yeah, we'll get to that in a bit with the personality and views. Yeah, so they sound like you know, people from England, you know, like who are always dropping their first letters. Oh, yeah. Hello, governor. <laughs> yeah. It's hello, governor. Groups of pangolins will cluster around IDET explorers like cats, showing them pretty shiny bits while chirping incomprehensibly and tugging at their knees in random directions. Uh, apparently, this race, I think they were designed to be their four fringe explorers. So they seem to have an innate desire to attach themselves to other groups. This serves a number of purposes, which we'll get into later, but the most important purpose for the pangolist is that the adventurers provide them with a ready source of babysitters. Yeah. Pangolists become extremely alarmed in the presence of Mellor in any form. Their bodies secrete a natural paralyzing toxin that incapacitates Mellor when they are attacked, and which can be spit 30 feet when they are under duress, which means not only can they spit it, they're coated in it. As soon as they sense Mellor, the secretions automatically begin, and there would probably, I would imagine, be a gland in their mouth that starts building up. So whenever a Mellor touches them, or when they're near one, they could just, you know, well, we'll use the less technical term, hakalugi at them, <laughs> and it paralyzes them. And I, I just list that as a range touch attack, 30-foot range, and just the only effect, Mellor in any form are instantly paralyzed. If they're hit. I don't know if I'd give a reflex save. I think... See, in D20 Modern, there's either you roll to hit, which means there's no save, or it automatically hits, and then they get a save. Yeah. So this sounds to me like roll to hit, so no save. Okay. Foot and thud. Okay. This marsupial-like species lays eggs and keeps their young safe in a large belly pouch, along with anything they else they deem interesting. John, you came up with the biological makeup of how that is because marsupials are the pouch animals. They lay eggs. Platypus lay eggs. And marsupials, basically, the, the babies are born early, basically, and they develop in the pouch. So it sounds like they're like a strange crossbreed between... Because if they're coming from pangolins, pangolins are not marsupials. So it's like, okay, we take a mammal, we're going to make him into a marsupial-like creature, uh, but we're going to give him eggs. So they even go one further than platypuses. They lay eggs, the eggs hatch, they put them in their pouch, and then they raise the kids that way. Let's throw six different animals together, and yeah, okay, these are the leftover bits. Oh, we have a new animal. Yeah, It's important with the platypus because the platypus also has a poison spur. It yes. actually does generate poison much as the pangolus generates poison. Yes, this was definitely someone's hobby, so hobby project he did. Anteater platypus hybrid with an extra set of arms for S and G. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is definitely not a normal result, unless, of course, on the world they come from, everything has six arms. The, either they were modified to include a six or a six, a six extra set of arms, uh, which I think is probably more probably likely. I, you know, the trouble is there's been enough studies that when you get bigger than 
most insects, the extra limbs get in the way, and it's easier to, to lose them. The way that insects locomote is that they they operate on a three, which is one on one side and two on the other, and then they switch back and forth. So all the legs are involved in the locomotion. That's not what happens with the pangolus, as far as we can see. It looks to me like it locomotes on back legs and it uses its front legs for for digging, and the middle legs, uh, sorry, the middle arms, I should say, are used for manipulation. Every every set of two limbs has a different function. Yeah. Uh, they, they really don't use these things in concert with each other or as necessary to each other. Uh, if you want to see how many locomote, just look up, uh, find a video about uh, pangolins and watch the suckers walk. It is the cutest thing in the world watching them walk. They look like really scaly, small ankylosaurs holding the, holding the limbs up. If you look on YouTube, uh, there's a really cute video of one playing in the mud. <laughs> now they they do they are cute. They're really cute. Oh, and I think part of that paragraph you're reading there, Trav, includes that old men are known to manufacture vest pouch harnesses for their favorites to give them extra pockets, basically. Well, yeah. Pangolists are mice diggers and have been instrumental in finding unusual artifacts and bringing them to the attention of fringe the explorers. Pangolists. Like Brupians tend to appear in clusters. Yeah. <laughs> Just chalk this up to another uh, engineering quirk that the Termellern put in. It's like mm-hmm. that, that pack mentality, like how geese fly in a flock or whatever, you know, same same type of not so much a homing instinct, but that that formational instinct where you that pack mentality was engineered in. Trav, I think it's intentional. I think it's intentional. Because if they've been given anti-Meller venom, I would say them traveling in packs, maybe they're intended to be um, pack hunters, like hunt, hunt Meller in packs. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they got the, the digging cloths and, you know, the manipulative digits. They have rudimentary intelligence. So, yeah. Or they act like guard dogs or guard geese. Yeah, yeah. They're there to protect, protect the facility. They, they When they start going... You know, something's, something's up at that point. <laughs> hey, well, maybe, you know, because we, we've talked about the slug, right? So maybe the in- original intent was to put the pangolists around to walk the perimeter as guards, right? And then when they detect something and start eeping and orping and ooping, uh, you would send the slugs out like a pack of dogs. Maybe at one time, you know, the, the it was a good plan. Yeah. Well, if they paralyze... And then the slugs go over and do the bite. I mean, how yep. cl- that's a very clean way of getting rid of Meller. Oh yeah. yeah, it's very it's very non-lethal. It's very uh, almost humane. It's quick. Yeah, yeah. And, but the, again, like I said, the slugs also were designed to be fighters, so they're there just in, they can still originally they were designed to fight just in case the pangos miss. What I'm saying is, is that if I have a, I have a base, I'm setting up a base, and I know there may be Meller in the area. So I have my base and I have my pangolus walk in the perimeter and I have my slargs inside the perimeter with me. The pangolus starts screeching. They detect a meller. They hit him with the spit or they bite into him and they paralyze him. Then the slarg rushes in. I send the slargs in and they take it out. Is it, is it, is, is it dead? Is it, is, it, is, it, is it frozen? I'm not going out there if it's not frozen. No, John, that, that was the problem. That's why it didn't work because the key gag got involved. Oh, so we determined that the Kegaks were the ones that 
flip that reverse the fight or flight mechanism in the slarg. There's very strong, <laughs> very strong evidence that it's part of the Bible. So yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. As a matter of fact, it's so strong that their planet got fried because someone found, finally found out it was true. Okay, then we have that. Uh, racial traits. Strength minus four. So if you're making a character, it would be max strength 14 to start. Three feet tall, 14 strength. Now you got to remember it is three quarters less weight capacity than a medium sized creature, but still, that's not bad for 14 strength. Con plus six. These are hardy little sons of guns here with a. That means you could technically have this thing with a con of 24 to start if you roll an 18. Ooh, what's the, what's the health bonus in that? It's plus one for every plus two over 10. Because these are NPC races, you could still make a character of, of it as an NPC, and this thing could be still walking around with a 24 con. I mean, that's, that's, that's a hearty little thing. Trav, the important thing here, I think, is that since... Most methods of uh, developing stats for characters, three is the minimum it'll ever be. That means with the plus six on the con, it means they fall within the normal human race. There are There is no such thing as a sickly pangalisk. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Yeah. Which also very much le- lends you to believe that these are a uh, altered race because that's not normal in a race for there to be no sickly. Yeah, because there's nothing that can infect them. Right. Okay, it's harder for them to be infected. Right. Viruses and bacteria have not evolved to infect this thing. You know, it'd be very difficult. Well, yeah, you're right about that, Peter, is that if they are, in fact, a very altered race, they could be, in fact, immune to anything that normally occurs in their source environment. That's right. Yep. They are a mix of at least three or at least two or three different species. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's see. Dex and Int both minus one. Well, Dex minus one? Well, if you have six limbs, you'd be tripping over them. And also, they are, they're limited manipulative digits. I mean, they, they would still take... Me, personally, I would just give them like a minus two for fine manipulation. You wouldn't want these things to be, okay, we need you to cut the red wire. You know? <laughs> the YouTube video of Pangolin, these things are kind of hunched over. They don't look like they have a tremendous amount of flexibility. These things aren't like your um, ferrets. They don't bend like that. Yeah. You know, they, they pretty much stand upright and they curl down, almost like a human uh, potato bug. I shouldn't say human, an animal potato bug. It doesn't surprise you that these might be slightly less agile in, in the flexible area. Just a little bit. Not that much. I mean, you know, a minus one, that's nothing. That's still a 17 dex to start if you max out. So same with intelligence here. That's a minus one modifier, which means basically you have a three foot tall anteater with a 170 IQ. Because pretty much the rule of thumb is for for your in score in in D&D, D20, D20 Modern, OGL, multiply your in score by 10 and that's pretty much the IQ. So you have this thing with a genius level IQ. Well, maximum. But intelligence yeah. is really your ability to remember things more and than your ability to process information and derive meaning from it. Because if that's the case, Trav, it means that every average person is only an IQ 100. That is true. That's what average most to mean. Yeah, because uh, I think Mensa is 
120. 130, I heard. Habibi and I were talking about that, and it was I think it's 130 is the minimum to get into Mensa. They may have raised it then. Yeah. But but no, John, that's true. 100 by the IQ scale is supposed to be average. Average, yeah. Yep, 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 okay. Wisdom, minus four. Well, they do have sort of like that childlike, inquisitive, sometimes uh, go in and just blunder in. Still, that's a wisdom of 14. That's pretty good at max, but if you do the average roll, let's see, on a three, 3.5, 11. Ooh, average wisdom of seven. Uh, yeah, that's like childlike wisdom. So usually they're going to have a very childlike demeanor and a, a way of going about the world. Yeah, they get into trouble on their own. Yeah. Well, uh, trouble seems to find them. Yeah, trouble pretty much knows where these guys are all the time. And charisma plus one. Oh, they're adorable. 19 charisma. Oh, they're cute and cuddly and they're furry and they're soft. Well, no, they're covered in scales. Well, fur and scales. If we have the scales, are like, well, if there's the scales like the uh, penguin has, they're actually tough enough that they stop lions from biting through them. Hmm. They're still cute. I don't know if I want to give them an armor bonus on that. Maybe a natural armor plus one. Because you're looking here and it's got a level adjustment of plus two. Yeah. I wouldn't give them an armor bonus because their scales are much smaller than penguin scales. Yeah, yeah. Rich, he admits freely he's not familiar with D20 Modern. Paul McDonald gave him a copy of D20 Modern when I was first over at his old place to talk about, okay, we're going to do you know these games for D20. And Rich looked at it, and the face he made just was like, you know, and he admits this freely. I'm sure that the way he came up with this and then a level two adjustment. We've made a lot of adjustments over the years when we've gone over these things and looked at the level adjustments, yeah, and, and all the straight adjustments. Yeah, we, we've made a lot of changes, what we think should be different. I would have to work this out using the D&D 3.5 book Savage Species. But let's see. We have a minus four strength, plus six con, minus one dex intelligence, minus four. Maybe. But then again, as, as we go on with the biology, I'll bring up other things which I would think would merit tweaking this around. So here we are. Biology. Size. Small. Three feet tall uniformly. Yes, that would put them in the small size category. It also lends back to their artificial creation as well. Yeah. They're all the same size. Yes, uniformly. There, There's no variation in that, like humans, you know, of different heights. Lifespan, 40 years. That's not bad for a creature three feet tall, considering most cats, a cat can live at the max 20 years, a dog usually 15. Two sexes, 28-day gestation. That's for the eggs. Yeah. Which is actually normal. You still would throw in, I would say, another three or four months in the pouch. They'll be alive, but the mother just keeps them in the pouch. They're still alive, but they're probably just nursing. If they're like marsupials, they're basically embryos coming out of those eggs. What's in the pouch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Marsupials, they're practically blind. They literally crawl from the womb up out and into the pouch. And, that's, and they attach themselves to milk ducts, and then they just suck away until they get big enough. And then later on, they're sticking their heads out, they're jumping out, they're jumping in, they're doing a lot of stuff, so... Uh, we don't really know how long their baby period is. Yeah. Infant period. John's right. 28 days is about right for them just developing from eggs and then breaking out of the eggs 
And then from that point, I suspect that since they do have to break out of the eggs, they're probably more developed than a normal marsupial. Yeah. And so they would probably be about the equivalent to the size of a, of a hamster. Yeah. I would say that maybe after a month, they would be pretty much able to jump around and do whatever they want. They wouldn't be intelligent yet. I mean, they would still be infants, but they would be like the equivalent of a one-year-old at about maybe the second month. Okay, let's see. Survival rate, 50%. Births, four. So basically, they pop out four eggs at one time. 50% survival rate, that means two of them will survive just coming to term. And that's just due to sickness and adversity and environment. and Stepping on the eggs. Well, yeah, yeah. Two surviving, we'd have to look at the pangolins and also the platypus to see how often they go into heat. If they only do it once a year, that's still two children a year. That's a lot of kids. Yeah. Yep. A lot of pangolins doing the nasty behind the shed. John, I don't know what you're talking about. I think it's a beautiful thing. Sleep cycle, 21 waking, 3 sleeping. Well, yeah, they're only sleeping three hours because they're constantly behind the shed making baby pangolins. <laughs> but that's also actually very uncommon for animals. Most animals sleep a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. So these things are actually very alert. Something that small is going to have a higher metabolism, which means these things probably eat a lot. If they really are guard animals like we were talking about, totally makes sense. Yeah. And based on current research, those three hours may all be nothing but REM sleep, which is the best sleep you can have. Yeah. Well, if they're engineered, yeah, they're going to be engineered to have these traits automatically. So three hours of sleep, all REM sleep, high metabolism to where they're, you know, constantly because they got to they got to be able to produce that 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 venom as a reflex. They pick up a color, boom, they coat themselves in it instantly, and that gland in their mouth starts producing where they can, you know, hock that loogie and, you know, stun it. Hey, John, just to be that guy, uh, you actually need all stages of your sleep. I mean, REM, REM is the most important, but you need, you need all of them. Yeah. They get into REM sleep quickly. Yeah, I would imagine. Yes, yes, I would imagine. Within 15 minutes, they're in REM sleep, and you probably get maybe two, two and a half hours, and then they edge out of it back into normal sleep and then they wake up well heck if they're a biological organism who knows uh, who knows what kind of sleep they need I mean, if they, if they've been manufactured you know what i mean so oh uh, just interesting i was looking up uh, pangolins they also emit a noxious smelling acid from glands near the business end of the pangolin you don't want ants crawling up your butt when you're trying to eat them no <laughs> no seriously think about it yeah. Basically, it's a spray similar to a skunk. So we know it's like they, they take the, the the poison from the platypus, they take the acid-producing glands from the pangolin, yeah. move them around so they actually excrete up the scales instead. Dear Lord, this is definitely someone's project. I don't think so, John. I think that you're, you're overcomplicating it. I think that they have glands in their mouths that they're able to excrete a large amount of this toxin so they can spit it. But when they don't spit it, just like a cat will groom itself, they basically take it from their mouth, they rub it over their bodies. It doesn't like excrete from their body. They put it all over their body. It excretes from their mouth. Except that the text says their bodies excrete a natural paralyzing toxin. It doesn't say it does it all over their body, John. It doesn't say their body excretes it uniformly all over their body. I kind of read that into it, Bruce. Their bodies secrete a natural paralyzing toxin, which incapacitates Miller when they are attacked. Yeah, I, to me, that means it just oozes out their pores, soaks their fur, coats their scales. That's, what, that's how I read it. 
everyone's welcome to their opinion. I'm willing to listen to it. <laughs> and similar to the pangolin, everyone's got one. Uh, voice, parrot-like, kind of high-pitched and squawky, like, eep, 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 fruit, fruit, eep. Okay, the five senses, and each of them are modifiers based on each sense. Smell plus six. You know what? I'd give these things the scent special quality. Just give it to them. That'll help add to the, the level two adjustment, which means they can track by scent. Vision's minus two. Taste plus one, touch plus two, hearing plus two. Who are hey. we talking about? Hey, oh. Jay! Jay! Yes, folks, we've got the band back together. We are talking about the Pangolisks. Epi! 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 <laughs> if you have the manual ready, Jay, they're on page 43, and there's an adventure that involves them, which is in the last section of the book. And that's on page 172. A Hot Night in Hotel Paradiso. Right. But we're right now on the actual page 43, talking about the characteristics that are listed there. Yes. Okay. All right. Let's see. The home world, the location is unknown, but the designation is IRL. IRL. The temperature range goes from negative 40 to 130 degrees, so kind of Earth normal. Maybe a little high. I don't know if we have any places they get to 130 degrees on our planet. Death Valley. There's a few. I would designate it as an Earth-normal climate. Society. Allegiance. Moral 70, which I think in the original scale in the Tritech, it means it's pretty high. And, well, attitude-friendly, so... Yeah, most uh, races that are in the uh, Alien Corps do not have an allegiance higher than a 50. So these guys are very, very social. Well, yeah, the charisma, the plus one to charisma, that, that, that kind of explains it, yeah. But no, no, I mean, charisma just means you like them while they're screwing you over. Very loyal. They're designed to be like having your back. Yeah. <laughs> User-friendly. Yeah. They were designed with the intention of spreading themselves across the fringe paths and helping out the fringe-worthy against the Mellor. It says, Pangolists become extremely alarmed in the presence of, of Meller in any form. Yep. Yes. yes. How can they tell? They just do. Jay, you see under biology where it says smell plus six? So there's a smell tag to the Meller that well, the Pangolists can smell. They can always smell a Meller. Yeah, Meller in their natural form has a sickly sweet smell. And I guess they never lose it. I would think that they do. I got, I got this. They don't lose it entirely, and the pangolin's sense of smell is that refined where they can pick it up. Remember how smell works. There's receptors in the nose that pick up actual particles of whatever it is that you're trying to, like, if you're smelling spaghetti sauce, like when the steam comes up, you're actually getting particles of the spaghetti sauce. They go in your nose, and the receptors pick them up, and you go, oh, that's spaghetti sauce. Hey, just remember that the next time you go to a public restroom. <laughs> I hate to break this to you, but in fact is the receptors are not in your nose. They're actually on the underside of your brain directly. Yeah. Poop, poop to the brain. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you on that uplifting. <laughs> Talk note. about your skin, Mark. <laughs> wow. The way I see it, Jay, is that the Meller don't entirely lose that smell and the Pangolus with the plus six, which I just say, give them the scent special quality. They can pick that. And probably a lot of smell receptors are dedicated to that smell probably, too. Oh, yeah. Or it's literally a supernatural power. Yes. 
Yeah, we have written we haven't written out that they're supernatural, but if they are, then we have to we have to visit that because what if they go to a node that's not supporting of that? Hmm. Well, I didn't say magical. I said supernatural. No, same different. No, no, because on the fringe pass, the crystals are controlled by telepathy, basically, and that is a supernatural ability that that works everywhere on the fringe path. So maybe it's a psionic. By definition, the fridge paths can't go anywhere where there's no psionics at all. Yes, well, he can. Pocky walls and other places where those laws don't apply, even though they're rare. Well, wait a minute. But do crystals work on those worlds? Yes. Yes. So crystals, so they're not psionic. But see, the question is, are crystals entirely within any universe? Uh, and they remember, they only work by touch, which means that... You have to touch them physically with your naked skin. I see them as biotech that just happen to look crystalline. Okay, Remember, okay. the term masters of biotech. Uh, you're equivalent, non-applicable. Joined IDA, non-applicable. Tech expertise, not much. Hence, my saying that they are PL0, progress level zero. Look into 20 future that has all the progress level. They have no native technology. They pretend they, they depend on their friends for right, technology. Yeah. Yeah, they adopt friends. They can't use can openers, even these really simple kinds. Yeah. Why not? Because they can right the very first one they show up with a can opener and they're asking for help. Three cans of beans, a can opener, and a cry for help. Help! Help! Uh yeah. okay. Yeah. Does that mean they don't have they don't have hands as such that they're oh, they've, they've got manipulative limbs and everything. It's just they don't have they're amechanical. They can't figure out gears and turning things. Does that mean they can't use doorknobs? I would assume that they can because they do have manipulative digits. And frankly, that tail would be able to grab a doorknob and twist it. So eventually they could figure out basic user tasks. Okay. Folks, I would also, because of the picture of the pangolus, it has its tail wrapped around a piece of paper with the word help. Therefore, I would also give them the, the special feature prehensile tail. They're also literate. Exactly. Okay. Uh, languages. Yeah, they're known for giving messages to people. Great. It's like a, a carrier anteater. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, like a passenger pigeon, yeah. I saw a video clip on YouTube about two weeks ago. A happy little something scaly just wallowing in some mud. That's a pangolin. Yeah. Languages. Well, they have their own language, pango. And there's a good chance that half of them know it. There's also a pidgin language of English and Pango. And most seem to know that more than the native language. And that's at an 85% proficiency. And then there's 7% chance that they'll know Korean. Now, this is me uh, being you know, really PC here. Not, not player character, the other kind of PC. And I would almost want to say, okay, the pidgin would always be a human language slash Pango. Not just English Pango, because that's really specific. And considering they hang out with Neanderthals, they really hang out with Neanderthals, why wouldn't it be Neanderthal Pango? You also have the problem of the Fringe Path translation gift, which means they're going to come in speaking whatever language the majority of the people on the world side of the gate speak. If they come into Hatsumi base, they're going to be speaking English, because most of the people there speak English. Depends on who the peacekeepers are. They may end up spitting Pakistani. 
Well, well John, but, that's not the point that, that Jay's just, making, and I, I agree with him. Uh, I think this is a, another example where Richard, in designing this character sheet here, was basically falling back to the way we were used to doing it and didn't take into consideration things like how it would work with the gifted language. Yeah. yeah. I, I Frankly, I think the Korean is a joke. I think that it, you could might as well said any other language at 7% yes. chance. The Pigeon English Pango actually makes a lot of sense because that's, again, falling into their same characteristic of they adopting other groups. So the first thing they're going to want to do is learn their language if they don't already know it. So many of the world seem to, their, their residents seem to speak a form of English. So the, after a while, they're going to make this pigeon of their language and this is that all the languages look English for, to the French walkers because the French pass system is translating for them. Once they became aware, wait a minute, I'm looking through a translation. In, I'm looking through a translation lens. They can deliberately see the original language, and it's never anything like English. But yeah. if they just relax and listen, just go with it. They can see it. They can read and and speak whatever the dominant language is nearby, and to them it seems like English. So yeah. what language anybody speaks is actually going to be a much secondary issue once you're interacting with the gates a lot because it's going to be kind of regularized out. The gates are going to help everybody talk. That's assuming all the p- player characters are English speakers. When I ran my when I ran the play test, only half of them were. How many of your players were English speakers? The players are English speakers, but the characters weren't. Did you stop your game and hang it up on on language issues, or did you just go ahead and go with it, and did you GM in English? When I first ran Frenchworthy, yeah, people had to basically do hand shows and gestures to communicate with people who didn't speak their language. They didn't have gifted. This is way back in the 80s. That's I, why we added it. I applaud the hardcore role-playing, but I think it can have the effect of slowing down the game. The gifted language came into play. First, you, you go through the portal, you come back out. Now you're speaking all the same language. So this didn't matter because you always had the gifted language come to your team. But it ran into a problem when they wanted to keep secrets. And trouble is when only half the team spoke English. It's kind of hard to speak in a language no one else spoke other than English. And, you know, and the other people spoke Spanish, Russian, and something else I forgot. And, yeah, there's a problem there. We're talking about the pangos. Maybe the pigeon is, is, is something pango. The pangos seem to have a characteristic way of speaking. Maybe that reflects a characteristic way of thinking that they kind of get translated into that pigeon kind of half-speak, no matter what language they're supposed to be talking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. Just because you are gifted with a language doesn't mean that you have to give up all usage of your original language if it, if it is different. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at a, uh, a TV show like Firefly where all the swear words were in Chinese. Now, that was, of course, to get past the censors. Yeah. But yeah. the fact is that you may want to pepper your normal speech in another language with words that are much more uh, resonant and evocative to yourself. So you, it's quite possible for creatures to be speaking in a Creole because they're, they just are really strong on their own native tongue. They can speak perfectly well the tongue that they've been gifted with. They just may choose not to do it all the time. It also could be a fact that they are incapable of speaking normal human languages, and this is the best they can do. I mean, there is that thing that you go to the world and you can understand the cephalopods when they speak with their color, color language flashing your skin. You can't say a single word in cephalopod because you can't do color parents on your skin. 
I can't tell you how many times that has become a serious issue for me, being cephalopod mute. When you're at a cephalopod restaurant, it just totally gets in the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, want, I, wanted the, I wanted the oysters, not the starfish. I wanted the oysters, not the calamari. I swear, not the calamari. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it depends on the species. It's like eating monkeys. Yeah, true. Most of these cephalopods do not have the patience for me to draw out a pattern on my skin with magic marker. They're just not going to wait that long. <laughs> hey, that's just because they're insensitive to your cultural needs. <laughs> cephalopods are notoriously non-PC that way. Right. Yeah, and also, cephalopods are also quite capable of talking out both sides of the body. Uh. <laughs> I don't want to seem like I'm criticizing cephalopod culture, because that wouldn't be PC. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's be se- let's let's be let's be sensitive to our cephalopod listeners. Squish 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 blue red green. <laughs> <laughs> we miss you, Jay. <laughs> Rippling patterns of red and black to you too, John. Wow. Oh. oh. I, I, oh. Yes, and a couple of ridges of erectile tissue. Oh, God. Hey, now I can speak that. That's a personal issue. Let's show some class here. I'm I'm actually You got it flaunted, buddy. (laughs) I'm not sure what he's got, but he's flaunting it. Mm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> views here. The pangolins took their rather simple, okay, not simple, but very quick worded intellect. For broad concepts, they just have very simple words. Eunice, help, you know, like help. They're, these people are here to help us. Idet, happy, for happy. Family, X, eggs. Work and play. Dig and dig with bugs, respectively. So it's egg and egg. Well, it is shiny, shiny. Justice and honor and politics are all, well, dig. Egg, egg, egg. Work. So work, wealth, justice, and politics, it all is boiled down to digging. I think that means that they don't really care. Uh, yeah, they'll just say, hey, look, here's some dirt I'm digging. I feel exactly the same way. Yeah. Humanity is ung. Watch the kid. Yeah, that's what we're good for. Well, I think also it's not only, hey, these humans can watch our, our younglings, but also we need to keep an eye on them to make sure the Melor don't get them. Or at least to warn them, to watch over them on, so they can get out these weird things they hold in their hands that when they point it and it makes a noise, the Melor drops. That's assuming the Pangolists show up knowing about the Melor. Well, they can detect them. They can, you know, smell them and sense them. I'm referencing a recent movie. You know, it's a Meller shows up and the Pangolist goes, I don't know what that is, but that's a bad frog. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do they automatically know? Oh, man, that's a Meller. That's a shape changing evil, evil creature bent on taking over the world. I don't think they know that much. I think that they know that it's it's bad and they need to spit at it. Bad frog. Yeah. Yeah innate natural process for them it's in their genetics spoiler alert except they gave it away in the previews ah 
let's see, red tape, itty, pretty. In other words, they literally see the red tape and they go, oh, it's pretty. It's like a sticky ribbon. They don't know what it is. Yeah. Combat, <laughs> yeah, unhappy. They don't like to fight. They'll fight to defend themselves and their younglings, that's it. But just going out, picking a fight, they're not going to do it. And the fringes, home. home. So that means they have a home world. No one knows where it is, but they seem to be fringe wanderers. I think that's their natural place to be. Yeah. Hey, Trev. Yeah. Are you going to be finishing up your Google English to Pengalisk translator anytime soon? Oh, see, it's going to have to wait until after Gen Con because, you know, I'm playing the games for that. So you know. I understand. Gen Con slams everything. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay. Available skills. Tracking, digging, smelling, frightening slargs, and mellower alarms. Why do pangolins frighten slargs? Slargs are frightened by everything. Don't okay. think it's a special quality. Trav, before we go to available skills, let's look at personality and views as, as a way of summing them up, okay? Because that's what they're there for. Yeah. These things were made to assist fringe-worthy races, fringe-aware races, with their dealings with the Mellor. Yeah. Everything about them says that to me. They have no interest in politics. They have no interest in sociology, really. They exist as a core, small family group, and they operate as a group. And as soon as they find a race they can trust, they immediately entrust them with their eggs and probably with their young. And sooner rather than later, they're going to leave them with some of their young. And then the main group is going to move on to find some more fringeworthy people and continue the process. They seem to have a very well-grounded and very fine sense of priorities, meaning they're not going to get caught up in anybody else's strangeness too much. If I can't dig it or spit at it, I'm not that interested. You know, I, I don't see them get, you know, joining any fan clubs for any rock stars, for example. It seems that they have a pretty tight pack mentality. Well, they have a pack mentality, but if they're leaving their young behind with friends and then moving on, I don't know if that would be considered a pack mentality. They form a small pack of their young, and then they can leave them because they're now a new pack. I didn't really get ditching the young on strangers so much. I got a kind of irresponsible groove off of that. I got a groove that if something's difficult or takes too long, they will lose interest and palm it off onto somebody else. That they're kind of like permakids that way. Their priority is having fun and eating good things and, and chasing shiny things now not worrying too much about the future. Yeah. I didn't really get too much of that. We're going to ditch the kids on you and wander away. Yeah. Well, Just, oh, is that mine? That's right. I forgot. No, Jay, what I, where I'm getting this from is actually the adventure that the uh, Pangolists appear in later in okay. the book. What happens there is they're all very concerned about their young until the fringe where they show up. And they immediately go and hand the young off to guard their eggs. And as soon as that happens, they go out about their business. They've got something they're trying to do, but they're being held from doing it because they're too busy watching out for their young who are you know, uh, being threatened by this meller. They seem to have an agenda, but they're willing to put their young into the care of responsible people and go about their other agenda. So I'm saying as, as an extrapolation for that, it seems that whether they just take their young and do it or they take their group and they split it, okay, and some go off and some stay, the point is that I see them spreading themselves from group to group across the fringe paths as a natural part of their psychology. So they got a mission to go find new friends. 
And that would make That's sense like because if they were created for the for the purpose of protecting humans from Meller, there's got to be some mechanism to do this autonomously. You don't see mm-hmm. a fridge train pulling up and 10,000 uh, pangolins on them and, and the ears smirk saying, okay, this is your stop. You five, out! You don't see that happening. You see them kind of appearing here and there and, mm-hmm. and moving on their own. So I, I have to assume that this is part of their psychology to be wanderers and to split their group up since they are a, a group mentality, a group kind of organization. There has to be a natural desire in them to split the group up once it gets large enough to move on with other people, especially if those other people are travelers, to spread themselves further and further along the fringe paths. That part, I understand. I, I understand where you're coming with this. Is it something they're really conscious of, or is it something that they just find a nice place, and when there's too many pangolisks around, they go, well, I'm getting bored here. i got to move on. Is it a matter of conscious intent or subconscious urges? I think they have wanderlust. One thing I'm thinking, though, is that they may hang around long enough for the kids to get old enough that they can be left on their own. Yeah, no, I'm assuming that. I'm not assuming they leave eggs. They can't leave eggs. They have to go into the pouch for a while. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, their eggs are green-striped. Now, we're not quite sure if the stripes are, vert- are horizontal or vertical, but, you know, they're green-striped. That depends on the, on which angle you're holding the egg at, really. I got a guy with that once. I uh, I held up an M&M and said, my doctor had prescribed these placebos. They were called W&Ws, but I couldn't eat the upside-down ones. They were poisonous. Nice. It took him a moment to catch up with where I was going with it. My impression was that they were childlike, that they could easily be mistaken as comic relief and mascots in the early campaign until the party had run across some Melor with a pangolisk with them. And then they go, oh, (laughs) That's what you're for. Yeah. I just see them with their scales going up like a cat, only this is much more hideous looking on a, on a pangolus. <laughs> you know, with the first standing up. And there's like the scales are up, they're basically excreting, they start smelling horribly, and then they start spitting at person. <laughs> yeah, because it says the available skills tracking, digging, smelling, frightening slards, and mellow alarms. Yeah, so for D20, survival... They're tribbles. Survival would be a permanent class skill, because that's tracking and smelling, because tracking by scent, as well as tracking by vision, are both done by the survival skill. Make that a permanent class skill if you're making these D20. Frightening slargs? I would think just because when they get agitated, the slargs freak out, and that's that whole thing we talked about earlier about Oh, the pangolists, you know, spit and, you know, drop them, and then the slargs come in and bite them. But because the slargs were engineered, ended up being cowards, they aren't going to like the pangolists because that fear kicks in of, oh, I got to work with these things against Melor. Uh, no. When they start getting agitated, I'm over here. So survival is a permanent class skill. Melor alarms, yeah. That's kind of a special feature. Does that imply there's a way for Hatsumi Earth or other cultures to find out how to detect Melor the way the pangolisks do? Well, if they're doing it through smell, which it seems most likely... Well, you keep saying that. That's just because they have a plus six on smell. The problem with that is any way you can think of for the pangolisk to actually detect the Melor leaves the Melor vulnerable to detection by other people eventually. 
I mean, the only way you can de- determine if it is smell is to put a is put a uh, suspected miller behind glass. If you can, if you can't smell them, or put a real miller behind glass. If you can't smell them, then we then nothing. It doesn't react. Then we know it's smell. The real, real hard part behind that is getting the miller. Is getting a mellor and then getting a mellor for control. That's going to be bad. Yeah. Every time that we talk about the Meller and their shape-changing ability, it's not just shape-changing. It is complete camouflage. They're able to fool anything. They can fool a dog pack to thinking they're part of the pack. They can fool an insect race that uses smell to believing that they're part of them. So it just makes it really hard for me to believe that they can't mask the uh, smell that's allowing them to do that. It's a psionic gift. It would have to be then. if Some kind of supernatural but not magical and not psionic power. What does that even mean, supernatural but not magical? We know that Meller can control other Meller up to a, a, a certain distance by telepathy. Yeah. That means they're emitting this. They may be able to suppress it, but they probably don't normally suppress it because it's a natural function for them. It's very likely that these pangolists pick up on the same wave like they go, Meller. So it's a psi sense. It probably is. We've never talked about how it does or doesn't work on certain places. Since Psy <laughs> is supported in most places. I'm sure there'll be some places where it doesn't work. You know, but I'm just saying overall, they make great Meller detectors in most worlds. Yeah, it could be something simple like they have a Meller compass, so to speak. Hey, hey, Bruce, like you were saying about the sensing telepathy, maybe it's completely passive. Maybe it's not that they have a power, you know, maybe not that they have telepathy they're using any ability maybe they just have like a sensory organ that can pick it up when it's being used like like i said a, a compass like ability they basically they, they 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 can't receive it but they can feel the waves going through them right you don't have to put off a scent to have a nose you could pick up on scents without having to be able to put out that sense just cuz they can't do any kind of uh telepathic abilities doesn't mean they they're not sensitive to picking them up and maybe just the mellers telepathic ability maybe just that Frequency or whatever you want to call it. Or maybe they can smell other other psionics and crawl into their laps and say, here, have a baby pangolisk. Oh, God. Show me on the pangolith where the Muller touched you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that stay right. That ain't right. <laughs> yeah, of course, it'd be like, hey, hey, uh, ear, 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 egg, 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 egg. Touched your ear? <laughs> This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers.
Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern. 